Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for Saturday, May 3rd of 2014. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And this week we are going to talk a lot about the playoffs, a um, bunch of different matchups, and our, just our overall thoughts about what's going on. Um, once again, if you could, if you use this podcast via iTunes, uh, go on there, give us a rating, give us a review. Um, that would help us out a lot, get us some exposure. If you like what you hear, that that's the best way you can go about helping us. And uh, on top of that, Cameron Walsh, um, why don't you talk about uh, what you, your services. Oh, yeah, okay. I've got a... Um... I've got a, an online training product where you can basically take a, a PT with you anywhere. It, we write up your training program. We do your um, assessments and all that sort of stuff online. Um, and you can get uh, video and email support. So if you're comfortable enough to, well, if you're motivated enough to go to the gym yourself and actually put the effort in, it's a much cheaper way to have the um, professional knowledge of a personal trainer um, without having someone there poking you in the poking you in the ribs, making sure you're actually doing the work. So um, have a look. It's at uh, coachcw.com. Um, have a look there and, and, and see what you think. Very good. With all that said, let's start off with my Stanley Cup champion pick, which um, is dead. <laughs> the, yeah. the San Jose Sharks. Um, about a week ago, I, I thought I was sitting pretty. They were up 3-0 over the LA Kings, and I was feeling good about myself, and it all came apart. What what did you see change? Was it, was it the Sharks, or was it just the Kings stepped it up and the Sharks couldn't adjust? Like, what... What changed? Because it just seemed so polar in regards to how how it worked. It was the Sharks almost couldn't do anything wrong. Like they were getting all that sort of puck luck stuff that they never, you know, got in previous years. And then all of a sudden, everything seemed to dry up. I think that the Kings are obviously a great team. I also still believe the Sharks are a great team. The Sharks were putting up a ton of goals early in the series, and I think Jonathan Quick was pay- playing very poorly. I think Quick turned his game around. I think the Kings turned their game around. And just two good teams playing each other, and the Kings just <laughs> they happen to win four straight. Man, <laughs> only the fourth time ever a team has come back from 3-0. Do you, do you sit there and, and look at it in that aspect then and go, with the two netminders, the difference in the series in the end? Like, I've, I've read in a few places where people have, have liked to, to sort of lump it on Niemi that, you know, he sort of fell apart towards the end of the year and, and then obviously in the playoffs he wasn't wasn't what you'd call to the level that Jonathan Quick can play. So was it the netminders that, that switched the series and then obviously the Kings, you know, stepped it up a notch as well and started to improve their own play too. So I, I just, I watched bits and pieces of this series and it just... I, I couldn't explain it. You, you watched the start of it, and it wasn't all sharks, but I couldn't see them falling apart as as much as they did to lose four in a row. I don't think they lost four in a row all year. If you picked how this series went, or at least claimed to, you are a liar. 
<laughs> to to have the Sharks go up three nothing and then the Kings win four in a row, no shot. I had Sharks in seven. I did not think that you either team could string three together three wins in a row, either of them. Yeah. Um, I do think Niemi's a good goaltender, but he did not play good. His even strength save percentages have been amongst the league's best the last few years, but he got worse, quick got better, and the two teams, I always thought it was a pick em series. And Yep. The thing that I worry about with the Sharks is that it looks awful losing four in a row because it is awful. I would consider it a choke in that regard. But they still did lose to one of the top three teams in the NHL, in my opinion, in a game seven. Do you go overboard and do wholesale changes? Because the optics of losing four in a row to anybody and flaming out like that is pretty bad. Yeah. But is is blowing it up really going to get you any closer? It's it's funny. When this has happened to the Sharks before, the, the cry often has been, it's Marlow, it's Marlow, it's Marlow, in regards to the person that you would you would move to try and get different assets to to change the team. But I I don't know if I'd move Marlow. But then if you move Thornton, is it a case of you can't you either have to move both of them together um, in into different teams and then go for a totally different setup, or do you just stick with it and stay the course because they've got some they've got some good stuff coming through that. You know, Marlowe and Thornton could end up being your second line, really, when you think about it. And that ends up being, you know, nice and deep and and the team's not as bad as a four straight losses looks in the playoffs. I personally would not move them. Um, I, I think they're really good players and I think they're on pretty good contract deals for cap value. And if I am correct, I don't believe the Sharks are a cap ceiling type of team. So, have they got space, have they? I, they got space. Are they willing to use it is the question. Um, off the top yeah. of my head, I can't really say for sure if they're a cap ceiling team or not. Mm. But those guys are on well, good deals. the ceiling deals. goes up next year anyway. Correct. And, yeah. and the, those guys are on good deals. And, like, this isn't a Vancouver Canucks situation where they probably should be looking to move the Sedins because that whole situation is... I don't think very good. The Sharks have have a great team. They just they drew a top three team in the NHL in the first round. There really wasn't much of a reward for them being good in the regular season. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough. And I will mention this: they didn't have Vlasic for the last number I of just, games. I was in just the, thinking that mm. that's their best defenseman. Um. Yeah, well, you could imagine the Penguins without Paul Martin. <laughs> well, I've seen it for much of the year. It wasn't very good. <laughs> yeah. Now, Vlasic is not Drew Doughty, and I don't want to make that comparison, but if you took Doughty from the Kings, they certainly feel the sting of that. No, but the importance the importance to, to, of both of those players to the team is exactly the same. They're not, they're not the same. You know, Doughty is obviously the better player, but if you take either of those two out of, of each team, then it's the same effect. So, yeah, that they lost their Drew Doughty. Well, the um, 
Doug Wilson came out and, and said he's he's going to stand beside his coach, which I think is the right move. I think the Sharks do play a good style. I'm yeah. not really sure what he could have done differently. You know, hey, goalie, stop more pucks. I mean, <laughs> what can you do there? So, You, you know what? If McClellan, if McClellan got fired and the Penguins, I reckon if the Penguins nosedive in this, and I mean nosedive, so say they lose this in four or five games against the Rangers, I still think Bilesma gets the ass. I'd love the Penguins to go after McClellan, but I don't, if Wilson's already said that he's, he's sticking by McClellan, then I just think McClellan would be a great coach. Well, here's the interesting dynamic about that. I think it's nice Wilson gave McClellan his support. However, what if the owner decides to axe Wilson? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, then then you're in um yeah then you're in a bit of a mess if you if you're the coach because generally general managers like to come in and bring in their own everything. So it'll be interesting to see what the Sharks do. I'd hate to see them overreact. They have a good thing going. I guess one of the few things that I didn't care for from how the Sharks did this round was McClellan kind of played Mike Brown over Havlett and Tyler Kennedy. I couldn't believe that either. And Tyler Kennedy and the Kennedy well. thing. Not that Kennedy's yeah, great, but he's better than Mike Brown. Compar- yeah, comparably. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that, that was a little surprising. I'm not saying that would have made who knows what kind of total impact it would have had on the series, but I think most people that follow analytics and other such things would be on board with Marty Havlett or Tyler Kennedy being a way better option than Mike Brown. I just I was just a big fan of Havlett. I just like the way he plays. So, you know, I would have I would have liked to have seen Havlett in, but you know, we watch, we don't coach. <laughs> Correct. And the only thing with Havlitz, it's just been his injuries over the course of his career. Extremely talented yeah, player. That's, mm. So that would be so frustrating for him personally to be constantly in and out of the lineup just because your body can't hold up. And the and the frustrating thing for the Sharks, it has to be that round two. The Ducks are are a good team, but. Round one was going to be a way harder matchup than round two. I think the Sharks and the Kings are, would have been the downright favorite against the Ducks. I know uh, we're recording this as the Kings and Ducks are playing an extremely close game right now. But Yes. Um, I'm bullish on the Kings. I would have been bullish on the Sharks, obviously. I picked them for, for the Cup. Mm. I just think that the team that won that series was pretty much going to play in the conference finals. So a bit like the, um, a bit like the St. Louis Chicago series. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, <laughs> good segue there. Um, boy, the blues, what can you do? <laughs> That's they, they really, what they did this year is a little bit like the Penguins did last year, and they loaded up and went all in. So you can't you can't fault them for that. They went right. We've we've got a good chance here. We've got a good roster. Everything's sort of rolling our way. They went out and, and, and got um, a goalie that is just below elite um, in, in Ryan Miller. And I only say that because of the way it 
sort of went for him in the playoffs. I thought they went and got an elite goalie before the playoffs, and the way he started in St. Louis, he was lights out. So you couldn't fault them for the changes they made. It's just a little baffling as to why it happened. They lost four straight, and Chicago's a great side, don't get me wrong, but it's just to sort of get there and go, is it that surprising they lost four straight because of the... Was it triple overtime in game one? Can't say for sure. It was a long one, though. Yeah, so you get there and go, well, they lose that, and and you obviously the series can, can be extremely different. So maybe Chicago was just that better aside, and maybe we were overestimating the quality of, of that, that St. Louis team. Admittedly, there were stages where they weren't exactly healthy either, so they didn't come in in an upward trend. They sort of came up came into the playoffs at either a treading water or a slight dip in regards to their physical um, physical feeling going into the series. So it's probably one of the bonuses Chicago had with Taves and Kane coming off injuries. Um, they would have been coming in fresh because they, they didn't have that grind going into the end of the season. Yeah, and Taves has been great all playoffs. Kane has been electric all playoffs. Um I, I did see a number of people I respect on Twitter that picked Blackhawks in six, and when the St. Louis Blues went down or went up in the series two nothing, they were still pretty confident in their selection and said, "Nah, they'll win four straight." And you know what? They did. <laughs> they, they did, yep. and that losing Brent Seabrook for three was it three game suspension? I th- I think so. That hurts the Blackhawks because he's a really good player. However, yeah. the loss of David Backey's is worse to the Blues than Seabrook to the Blackhawks, in my opinion. Yes. And, yes. You know, you're left with, is Derek Roy going to fill that spot? No. <laughs> Not at all. No. Um, no. I guess, you know, maybe the Blues' problem was they uh, hitched their wagon to too many former Sabres. <laughs> they um no i mean ryan miller is one of my the guys i root for most in the league because i've, no, I've just, had it's just funny because his ahl career is as well known yeah, yeah his ahl career came through rochester right here and i got to see a lot of them come up through um but ryan miller wasn't um i don't think he was as bad as his numbers i think they left him out to dry a little bit but he wasn't a difference maker in a positive way, like you would. And that's what they got him for. Exactly. Um, Derek Roy, I'm not a big fan of his, so I don't think he was much of a difference maker at all. But then they also got Steve Ott, Sabres captain, <laughs> probably the only one of the 30 NHL teams that would put a C on him. But he he was hmm. he was a nothing player for them. He was inconsequential. So. Did they just, did, and this happens, did they just hit a flat spot in their season at the wrong time? I mean, you can't be up the, the entire season. So No, but some of those in- you can't do what they did. They shouldn't have played the Blackhawks in the first round. They sh- oh, correct. No, no, no. And, yeah. They should have been playing Minnesota, if I'm correct. Was it Minnesota? Um, yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, Either way, they should have been playing the, one of the yes, other Yes, it should teams. have been Minnesota. And they would have beat Minnesota, in my opinion. 
But they went on that six-game losing streak or something close to that, and they get the Blackhawks. Well, you get what you deserve that, there. The, yeah, but that's the thing. What what caused that end of season slide? Like, where did it where did it start to fall apart? Did they just physically run out of gas, or that's that's the bit that that's the bit that, that, that just sort of baffles me in 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 that sense. I don't. I, I don't get how it, for a little it happened. Bit. But, you know, that's just one guy. And that, that's what I mean. Like, the whole team just hit that. They're in a slump all at the one time. Was it physical? Were they mentally exhausted? Is the style that Ken Hitchcock plays, which can be grating, did, did it just wear thin on the players and they couldn't maintain it? it it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's a, it, they're a professional sports team. All of these teams have got support staff that are supposed to be on top of nutrition and in fitness and all about trying to get these teams to to peak at the end of the year for the playoffs so they go in feeling their best. But a six-game losing streak is is not trending in the right direction. They, they did really well to actually win two games at the start of that series after going zip for six to then get there and go two zip. Yeah, but they did that last year that, too. They, they were up 2 nothing uh, on the Kings as well. So that's, you know, the Kings and Blackhawks are no joke. To go up two nothing on both of them, which how many times can you get a two nothing series lead on teams like that, and to blow them both like that, and to yeah, and to, to lose four in a row both years. Yeah, to not to not be able to close it out or at least push it to seven, you get there and and you hear, you know, sort of people saying with the way the Penguins play and all that sort of stuff, well, they need to change the structure of the team. One thing I do like is I haven't exactly heard that about St Louis. They, they realise they've got a good thing going there, and I, I haven't heard anything from the fans or from the media. Shred it apart, you know, pull it apart and make some changes. I mean, they've got some contracts that are at the end of their term, so they'll, they'll have to make decisions. Well, here's the good but, thing about but, that as I'm looking it up right now. Next year they got $25 million in cap space, close to $26 million. Um, so they got a good core, a lot of that signed, and they got some great young players too. So they got yeah. they got room to work with some stuff. Yeah. What do you do with what do you do in net though? Jake Allen. You just go with Allen. Yep. Great AHL goalie this year. He came in during the shortened season last year. Did a nice job. I think you just give mm. him the reins. So do you go? What sort of backup do you go for? Do you go for a, a jiggy, a jiggy 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 type that was in? Colorado, or do you go? Like, where do you go? Because they're, they're contending for a cup. If he hits a really bad flat patch, one thing I've noticed with young goalies when they hit those rough patches, they can last a while. And out in the West, points are a premium. Correct. Um, well, obviously, I'd extend a, a, some discussions towards Brian Elliott. See where he see where he's at on things. Yep. Um, if he's comfortable playing that kind of similar. 1B role for the regular season and allowing the other guy to take the reins in the playoffs. Yeah, by all means, if you got $25 million in cap space, throw him. He makes 1.8 right now. If you, if he wants a little bit of a raise, two, five, three is an insurance policy. Yeah. I think that's money well spent. Okay. Who knows? I don't, I can't speak for Elliot, but. I just watched Patrick Kane's backhander. My goodness, what a goal. <laughs> he 
He's great. I've just I've got the NBC coverage on. That was an amazing. That's going to be four zip that series. I did. I'm. It's arrogant to pick sweeps. I picked a sweep in that series. And the thing with last night's game, I think the Wild played great. They they actually possessed the puck on the Blackhawks for a large stretch of that game, especially when it was close. And still lost five to two because the the Minnesota Wild have some nice forwards like Miku Koivu, who's a possession monster. Um, Zach Parise, he's a bulldog. He gets in those dirty areas, does some nice things. Pominville's got a great shot, but none of them are dynamic. Patrick Kane's a freak. Jonathan Taves is a freak. Marion Hose is a freak. Even Sharp, they don't have that. And even if that's the thing, they've got two, they've got two, two-headed monsters for one of the term in regards to the way the Penguins look at it. Like the Penguins have got, you know, Sid and Gino in regards to superstars, but the Blackhawks have got Kane and Taves, and and, and Sharp and Hosa, and they can pair them up, and you just get there. You go, that's two lines, if they want, and then they can load them all up on one line if they want, like. The depth that they've got top end wise is amazing. Absolutely. That's why they're so hard to beat. And and you didn't even touch on their defense. No. Well, yeah, that just goes without saying what they've got on their back end. They're just beautifully constructed as a team. And Crawford Crawford's done more than, than held up his end of the bargain as far as I'm concerned. He's been really, really good. Well, Crawford it basically shows if you invest in the team in front of you, you don't have to go over the top with your um, goaltender investment and I do understand Crawford moving forward is going to be getting a, a nice raise he's making 2.66 right now and in the future he's going to be up in that 6 mil range which eh, not big fan of those long term big money goalie contracts but the reason why I think it'll work for the Blackhawks and Mark Lazaris of the Chicago Sun-Times had an interview with Stan Bowman this week. He had a nice piece in the Sun-Times about how the Blackhawks use analytics. And Stan Bowman was not going to give him the specifics of what they use, just that they do. (laughs) And, you know, that they do use it. And how can you argue against that with their results the the value they get in their third and fourth lines for the money they spend is freakishly good and they're on the cusp of potentially winning their third cup since during the cap era nobody else has two they they may win three this year and i think a large part of that is probably how they view these analytics and the, the team we follow closely, the Penguins, I don't. I, I think they use a little bit of it. But I'd argue that analytics is what's keeping Crosby and Malkin from being those multiple cup winners. The Blackhawks don't have Craig Adams and Tanner Glass or Rob Scuderi and even Brooks Orpik. Or am I wrong or am I off base with that assumption? No, I, I, I think you... I think you're right there. So whatever the Blackhawks are doing, they're doing it right, and they're getting great. They're doing it right really, really well. And I, man, 
I wish the Penguins would get on board with whatever they're doing because there's no way Craig Adams and Tanner. It's funny I mentioned Craig Adams. Craig Adams was a waiver. Um, that that's who they picked him up from Chicago. Chicago waived him. I thought that was from I thought that was from Carolina, but that's no. He went through. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. Are we going to Are we going to segue across to the Penguins? Uh, um, sure. With that, because that that game was so bipolar, and like you and I were saying before we we hit record, there are times where you go, "How could the Penguins play so poorly in that first period?" I kind of forget sometimes that there is another team out there on the ice, and they're a quality team. The Rangers, they have every right to control the play and and, and be the better side at times as a penguins fan you obviously don't want to see it but you do kind of forget that you know new york are a good team they've got a good a really good strong back four um on on that back end and you watch those forwards they've got speed and they got four lines like, legit four lines yeah yeah and you get someone like scuderi out there and because they've got four lines with speed you can't hide him away and notice how i'm not saying bortuzzo in that i think bortuzzo has been great since coming in um, I'm not a particularly big fan of the fact that it looks like his stick is about four inches too long for him. Um, but he's been really good. You and I have both said on Twitter that we'd like to see Orpik and Bortuzzo, not Orpik and Scuderi when it comes back. Um, but I think it'll end up being Orpik and Scuderi because I just have a feeling that Bilesman won't take Scuderi out of the lineup, no matter how bad he is at getting the puck out of the zone. I think it'll be worse than that. I think Bilesmo will actually separate Latang from yeah. Paul Martin and put Orpik back with Martin. Yeah, and you can tell that the Latang and Martin pairing is fantastic. You can see that. That's a legit top pairing, <laughs> if there yeah. ever was one. Latang has been asked to carry around garbage <laughs> for a long time, and yes, he makes self-inflicted errors. I totally understand that. I've written about it. I needle him about it. But now that <laughs> he has a competent partner, like competent is really underselling Paul Martin, but yeah, that's the Penguins' top pairing. It would be a lot of teams' top pairing. They they are playing really well. Um, Mata Niskanen, they did not have a good game one against the Rangers, but that is still a good pairing. I'm just I'm just wondering whether Marta is starting to wear down. No, I don't think so. I think um don't think? I think sometimes people don't have good games. His overall sample size in the playoffs he's played well. I mean he did ring one off the bar last night too. True. Uh, I do kind of forget that. I I don't know, it's it's funny, like I, I think mental fatigue more so than physical fatigue with Marta. And it might just be he had that one bad game, so he'll be fine when they play again tomorrow. If it, if he comes up, for want of a better term, lame again tomorrow, I'm I'm thinking, for, for me personally, it looks like he's just starting to wear down. I mean, 19-year-old kid, he's going to end up playing, if the Penguins keep going, well over 100 games after not playing that many games anywhere at all. So it, it's going to be tough on him. Um, Niskanen's, Niskanen's handled the Niskanen's handled the forecheck really well, I thought, in regards to New York know to get on him and try and be physical with him. But 
I think he's, he's stepped up in that regards and, and handled being hit quite well, um, which is a knock that, that Niskanen's had. Don't want to use the term soft with him, but a lot of people get there and say he can get knocked off the puck too easily. He rushes some of his decision-making because you can see the, the check coming at him and knows that he's going to get hit. Um, so it's, it's, it's good to see that I think he's held up his end of the bargain. And I think Niskanen on that second goal last night, the one that Richards was wide open in front of the net, Niskanen. That's a systematic. Yeah, that's correct. Systematic. That's where they want him. To, that's where they want him to be, and that's a risk reward situation where you go. The reward for, for being there isn't isn't high enough to, to warrant leaving anyone uh, out in front like that. Fleury was too aggressive on that, and. and and, and made that a bit easier on, on Richards. But that was still a really good forehand to backhand, tuck it around the And goal. for those that don't know what we're talking about, when a Penguins defenseman goes back on a, on a dump-in or a chip-and-chase play, the, the first defenseman goes back, and his job or goal is to absorb the hit and just baby-chip it along to, to his support guy, the second defenseman. And... The risk of that is the second defenseman's so close in there. If the first guy that goes back to get the puck flat out loses his battle, like Mata did last night, that second defenseman's right there too. So the pass goes right behind him. There's just tons of real estate. Um, like you said, I'm not a huge fan of the risk reward on that kind of play. The reward is all right. My partner has the puck, should have a little bit of time and space. But the risk is Brad Richards being wide open in a playoff game, leaving your goaltender with no chance, pretty much. And is that, with that particular goal, is, is that a product of the fact the Rangers have really good leg speed for a really quality forecheck to get in on Marta before he can make a, a solid play, which Marta, you know, nine out of ten times generally does? Is that a is that a product of the forecheck? So once again, having to give some credit to the Rangers for yeah. putting the Penguins in that situation where they screw up. Certainly, the Rangers are capable of a good forecheck, and and specifically on that isolated play, they were absolutely in on that forecheck and won that battle. But I don't think that's exclusive to the Rangers. I think that's a problem systematically that you can come up against with any team that has a good F one that's in there quick and wins his battle. Um, I like support around the ice, but I don't like support when the the risk is so high for just having a guy wide open in the slot. I don't like it. Okay, so you you look at that. What would you? How would you change the way that particular situation is handled? What would you like the Penguins to do in that situation instead of going for that aggressive positioning for the number two D? sitting in front of the net. Well, Niskanen doesn't have to find himself that low to the goal line. Mata can still chip it along, and then Niskanen can react and get to the puck, as opposed to selling out as that support right away. Almost hang back, read and react, make sure he's won the battle, then move. Yep. Um, but when you assume your guy's going to win the puck battle and you don't stay on the defensive side of the puck, problems happen. And it's not just in that situation. It's all over the ice. You get forwards that cheat, 
coming out of the zone and don't stay on the defensive side of the puck and the defenseman makes a good keep in at the blue line, that's when you find that slot wide open because that forward's cheated out of the zone expecting to chip out. Just stuff like that. Always stay on the defensive side of the puck, especially playoff time. Yep. So. Oh, that makes sense. uh, I guess the other thing with the pens is the stars need to be the stars. And I think for the most part, they did play well, Malkin and Crosby in the Columbus series. But last night was um, not, not a good game for Sid. Um, he was, Gino, Gino came out, Gino came out flying the first two minutes of the game. It was like, he looked like he was going to, to break it open and, and score a couple. He, he just had the puck get knocked off his stick just at the end, or it just didn't quite fall for him and stuff. And you go, that's okay. It, he'll it will fall his way at some stage in the game and it never quite but Sid just didn't look just didn't look right you know everyone's sort of saying he's got to be injured in in some way shape or form but he doesn't have that when he gets the puck on his stick the first three strides he pushes and and either separates or really forces the defender to push back and have to turn and I don't think I saw one defender forced to turn because Sid was going to blow by him as opposed to they decided to turn because they were going to get to the puck. It was it's one of those things where you go, if, if Sid and Gino aren't playing at the ultimate, they're, they're optimum or really close to it, they're not going to go very far. No, this is a transition year for the Penguins anyways. They don't have a deep team forward-wise. So yeah, this year more than any other year since 2007, they need to have their top guys, um, Crosby, Malkin, and yes, I will throw a flurry in there because goaltenders can make a difference. Those three guys aren't yeah. at the top of their game. Um, they weren't going to go far this year. I think Malkin's played really good. I thought he played well last night, but you're right. Sid's explosive three steps. And let's be honest, Sid, he was 48% possession guy last night, which isn't like the worst thing ever, but like that... It's like a Craig Adams number for him. That's 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 seven or eight percent off, you know, his regular season numbers. And and what was he against Columbus? Wasn't he up around sixty or something? Yes, correct. And and that was yeah. with the perception that Dubinsky was shutting him down, and he was still getting those yeah. numbers. That, so that's a massive drop off. They can't afford to have him at that level if they're going to consider. And that's how spoiled um, for those of us that have followed the, the Penguins for for a long time that's how spoiled we've been with Crosby since 2006 that it sounds like we're like picking on him and needling him but but his standard has been that's why he's the best it's so it's consistent it's not that it's a ceiling well obviously his ceiling is above mostly everybody um there are a few people that can touch his ceiling but the the reason why he's the best is because he hits the ceiling on a freakish consistent level and so far all right we had some technical difficulties uh we we lost our skype connection there but um what i was saying there's a little bit something off with with sid i hate to speculate because obviously i i don't know for sure but there just seems to be the only the only reason that i think that his level of play could drop is injury because his consistency level from what I was saying before has been a constant throughout his career 
and the only times you've seen it drop off is when, when he's had an ailment of some sort. Yeah, that's exactly right. Look, I, I saw someone um, on, on Twitter get there and su- suggest maybe a sports hernia, um, and if if that person's anywhere on the money, um, I, I'd give a thumbs up to, to that assessment because you lose so much drive when when you're when you can't keep your pelvis still. Um, because it hurts, and, and so you've got weakness on one side of your body. You just can't drive. You can't. You can't extend your leg all the way out because the the issue that you've got in, in that area it just it just feels like it's it's going to tear because it. Okay, I, I wrote a piece on Brooks Orpic having two sports hernia surgeries um, over the course of the last three or four years, and then when he got through a full off season without having to have a surgery on that area his skating came back and, and was, was a lot was a lot better than what it had been over the last over the previous couple of years. So if Sid is um, injured in that area or having issues through that area, he's he won't get his skating stride back until next year. So he'll be carrying that. There, there's no rest he won't get enough rest in between. So say the Penguins win the next four games and, and the Montreal Boston series goes seven, that rest period that they would get in there won't be long enough. He's going to be carrying that all the way through. No, and that's not good good news for for Pittsburgh, obviously. No. But um, I think one thing that you could do is do what Bilesma did against Columbus and, and put Malkin up with him with Kunitz and just try to milk whatever you can out of him offensively. He, he can still distri- distribute the puck at a, at a good level. Just give him well, the guys been. that can do something with it. Not that Stemniak's been bad, but Malkin is Malkin. Would you put him? Would you have Sid take the face-offs and then put him on the wing, or keep him in the middle? Ah, that's such a tough one. I don't because think obviously Gino. <laughs> I don't think Gino's a good wing he, either, but. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. You get there and go. Look, I think Sid's half slap shots extremely underrated. Um, and I think Gino would be able to get it to him, and, and that quick release from Sid could be problematic for Lundqvist, you know, around the dots or the top of the circle. Um, but then you get there and go, why don't you just get Sid pass it to Gino and just have him rip off a full slap shot? So it, it's a toss-up in regards to trying to maximise whatever's left of, of Sid's ability at the moment because, yeah, the, the game yesterday was was not what you'd call one of his uh, highlights. No, um, but I, I think putting them... Is a trio Kunitz Crosby Malkin is more of a to get high quality possession more so than the specifics yep. of how they'll figure out the offense. Those guys are so gifted. Um, it would be more of a we're going to dominate possession and whatever line we're going up against. I don't care if it's the other team's best line. We expect to be above fifty percent because that's that's a top heavy line. Um, Brandon Sutter playing as well as he has gives them the opportunity to play him with Neil and Jokinen. And Marcel Gotch, being a part of the Penguins, gives them the ability to to have Bennett and Stempniak on that line. Of course, you have a really abysmal fourth line with Glass, Adams, and Vitale, but hide them the best you can. And, and play those three lines. I mean, you don't have to roll 
four lines in crunch time. You do have to roll no, four lines right. over the course of a game because you can't sap everybody's energy. But when it comes down to you know tense moments, you you can go with that top nine grouping that that's not so bad. And last night, with if we're being honest, the Penguins, the Rangers' strength is depth and possession, and the Penguins, after that really terrible first period, even throwing that in there, they they had 54% possession no matter what game state we're talking about, whether it's regular even strength, um, even strength close, which is if the game's tied or within one goal. So... The Penguins did a really nice job at, at owning the puck after the first period. and is it, the, is it good enough for them to win it over seven games, though? I do. Will, I do will think so. Will the averages of that pull them through? Okay. Well, here's the thing. Everybody's talking about the Rangers' schedule and, and how it's going to hurt them because so many games and so many nights, yada, yada, yada. I think that's a little bit overblown. But... If the Penguins are going to own the puck at 54%, I don't care if the schedules were even. You're chasing more than you're owning the puck. You're using up energy. And over the course of a series, fatigue will set in. Throw in the fact that, yes, the Rangers will be playing that many games in that short few nights. That's going to catch up with them, I think. Um, Mm. Can the Penguins duplicate, triplicate? the 54% possession, I don't know. We'll see. Um, that that remains to be seen. But if they do, I like their chances still of winning this series because they will wear down the Rangers. And um, let's be honest, owning the puck gives you a better chance to score and it gives you a better chance to keep the other team off the board. Yeah, and I think with the more the Penguins can keep the puck out of their, their own defensive zone, the better things are. Absolutely. Um, last but not least, um, we have the Bruins and Habs. And that's been a really uh, exciting series because you have game one where I thought the Bruins kicked the Canadians' ass around the rink all night long. But playoff hockey, got to love it. For whatever reason, they... Uh, the Bruins could not score on Carey Price. And and a lot of that was Carey Price being awesome. But there was also a significant amount of it. The Bruins just did not finish on a few of those occasions. And that was the kind of they game. They had a few open nets. Yeah. That's the kind of game where I would say the Bruins will win 95 out of 100, if not more, if they had that same game play out. But it didn't happen. Montreal... Um, survived, and they finished some chances. So kudos to them for, for their game one win. That's why them. That's why them blowing the lead in in today's game is, I think, so costly. I, I have a feeling Boston will probably win the, the next three and win it four one. And going back to Montreal up to zip in a situation where you wouldn't really expect them to. I mean. Price played lights out. They won a game they had no right to win. They were in a brilliant position to win game two and, and let it slide. Um, I, I know going back home to, to Montreal, that, that place absolutely rocks at the Bell Centre. So that, that might you know balance it out and give them a chance to, 
to walk out of the Bell Centre tied 2-2. But for them to... I just think that win in the context of the loss in the context of the series is just more costly than it, it probably should have been. Absolutely. I think going up 2 nothing to Montreal, there's just that aura of the Bell Centre. Um, and if I'm being completely honest, there there's that aura of drawing some penalties that maybe might not occur in yeah. some other arena. That's why being that's why playing at home is always an advantage, particularly in, in that building. Look, if they if they got up two zip there, it, the Montreal Canadiens start having a feel of the '93 team. Yeah, you know they've got a they've got a Patrick Wilde goalie that, that everything seems to be clicking for them. There's that whole self belief. Um, you could see. You could see it just, you know, a bit like a, an avalanche, really. It just starts to build and build and build, and it just all starts to rush on. But Boston should be feeling pretty good. I mean, they, they lost a game they wish they hadn't in game one and and confidently came back in game two and have, have walked away with the split at home. Um, they would feel really confident about going into Montreal and, and getting a split at, at least, if not winning the, the, the two in Montreal. Yeah, I'm I'm bullish on Boston. I think they're great. I think today was a lost opportunity for Montreal. The one thing I do like about Montreal is that they know they they know that they didn't play well in game one. I think they know they stole one. Thomas Vanek was pretty hard on himself. He knew he had to be better. He scored two power play goals. Today. And he was. Yeah, and he um, was. He was better. Which, even back to playing for the Sabres, Thomas Vanek's always done well against the Bruins for whatever reason. So it was a little surprising for me to see him be such a dog in game one. But he, he bounced back terrific, and two power play goals is is, is a nice response. Um, Carey Price has been great, and I know people are going to look at him as imploding, but I, I watched that one replay of that Bergeron goal, and on the on my first view, I'm like, how can you let that go in? But they showed a view from behind in the net cam, and it, like, mm. bounced off the ice and just rocketed upper shelf. Like, yeah. it's not, that was not a normal, that was not a normal play. And that was the, the tying goal. Yeah, and Boston just had all the momentum then anyway, so... Things like that happen when you're driving possession and you're driving play. Puck luck, you know, generally falls into your head. Yeah, that's the thing. Why why possession isn't the only thing in hockey, but if you are owning the puck, you get the potential of getting those bounces because you can't get the bounces if you're not the one shooting it towards the other team's net. And, yeah. Um. That certainly, with the Bergeron goal, is a, is a prime example of that. So it'll be interesting to see. The um, the atmosphere in Montreal will be terrific. Uh, Bruins Habs is always great. So uh, we'll see if they, they got some more fight left in them. I, I still think the Bruins are the class of the East. I'll be very, very surprised yep. if they don't make it out of the East. So we'll see. Do you think do you think the Rangers could push them, or do yeah. you just think, or do you think the Bruins are so far in front it'd be a six game series would be a stretch and it should probably be a five game series? I think once you get to the conference finals, um, any team can 
potentially win the series. They probably might not, but certainly the Rangers are, are deep. They have the goaltender that could certainly factor in there with Lundqvist. Um, they could. Uh, the Penguins, I don't know. Depends. Yeah, yeah I don't. Depends on I Sid. Don't feel like if Sid's not injured and he's just for a crazy reason playing bad and snaps out of it. I could give him a puncher's chance, but if Sid's hurt, like I think he is, nah, I don't, I don't give the Penguins much of a chance, even if they make it through the Rangers, at least against the Bruins. Yeah, no, I, I, I would pick the Bruins in five or or six. Yep. That uh, sounds about Six right. Six generous, but, you know. They it could very keep... well be a repeater last year. Well, it might be series-wise, but I thought the Penguins played better than what the sweep indicated last year. Oh, no, I meant the Stanley Cup. I have a feeling it's going to be Chicago-Boston. Oh, yeah, certainly could be. And yeah. I would, um, I'd pick Chicago again, uh, but that's not a slight on Boston. They could certainly win that series too. Um, I just, uh, I, I like what the, the Blackhawks got going on. And if what I have predicted moving forward, I think that Blackhawks King series should be pretty good. Although as we are speaking, Timu Solani scored a third period goal against the Kings and the ducks are up two to one with eight and a half minutes left in the third period. So, Timu, wow. Timu on the board. Good for him. Finally. Yeah, it's his first of the playoffs. And, uh, yeah, what a great thing. Good for him. It'd be, it'd be nice to see the Ducks do well, whether they get, you know, past the Kings. But it'd be nice just to see them do well. Because this will be Timu's last year, isn't it? He has declared that, hasn't he? Yeah, yes it is, and, and I think it should be. This isn't a Yager situation where there's more gas left in the tank. I think Timu's reached the end. I think he's already openly admitted that he'll uh, go back to Finland, and uh, I think he'll play a year in the KHL for for his uh, Finnish team. Yes, Because Finland has a few clubs, I think, that join the KHL this year or maybe next year. So... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he he should definitely probably retire from the NHL. I'm, they'll be disappointed to see him go, but I think it's time. Yeah. <laughs> Un, unlike Yager, who is <laughs> awesome, to say the least. Yeah. He's he's great. It's good to say that he's signed back and he's going to go again. He's fun to watch. Yeah, and let's be honest. Uh, I know a lot of people are like, oh, he loves it in New Jersey, this and that. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that he had a great year, but New Jersey has agreed to give him five and a half million. And (laughs) this isn't a slight on Yager, but he will go where the people are willing to pay him. Nothing wrong with that at all. No, I don't, I don't view that as a negative, but if, if New Jersey offered him three and somebody else offered him five, I can tell you right now where he's going. Yep. Especially on a one-year contract, which he's operating under, because he could always get traded to a contender, much like the Dallas here. Did I read that he doesn't have a no-trade clause in this particular contract? I I, I might have read that wrong. If I were him, I wouldn't. A no-trade clause to him is 
meaningless for the most part because it's not like they're not going to consult him on where he goes anyways. I suppose so. That's a good point. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there, there's a respect factor that goes beyond that kind of no-trade clause stuff. And, and I don't think Lou Lamarillo... If, say, say the Devils really do stink next year, which... I don't think they will. I thought they were a pretty good team this year that relied on Marty Brodeur's terrible goaltending too often this year. Yeah. You know, if they were to find themselves totally out of the race, I I think Lou would do good by him. He seems like that sort of a jam. Uh, And I don't even think it's specific to Lou. I just think Yager commands that kind of respect to what, what GM wouldn't do good by him. That's true. So... I'm thrilled. He's one of my uh, childhood idols, so to speak, and I'm just. It's nice happy. to have him still floating around, isn't it? It makes me feel younger. Yes. <laughs> 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 so I'm very happy to uh, still have him playing at a high level. Love watching him play, regardless of the jersey he's wearing. So very happy. Well, I think we've covered off everything we wanted to. I like ending on the high note with Yager. That's a good way to end. <laughs> That'll do us. So, you can find me on Twitter at Gunnerstall, G-U-N-N-E-R-S-T-A-A-L. You can find us at Hockey Hertz, Hockey underscore Hertz, and you can find Cameron Walsh at Walshy66. Um, if you're looking for some good hockey material to read, I, I cover the Penguins at HockeyBuzz.com. NHL at HockeyHerds.com. And every now and again, I, uh, I'll write a little something for HockeyProspectus.com. So. And um, we've also got, obviously, our site, HockeyHerds.com. If you want to have a look at some, some options for your own personal training and stuff like that, just jump on to CoachCW. So Coach, the letter C, the letter W.com. Go there, have a look. Uh, contact me via email if, if you need to, um, and, and we'll, we'll look at trying to help you out. Perfect. Yes. Use Cameron. Cameron's a good trainer. He may be in Australia, but he can help you in North America. So <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a great concept, to be honest with you. Like to to have that video conferencing and to, to be – because a lot of people don't need – the, the total overblown training session, they just need a little bit of guidance. And I think this yeah, is the correct. perfect middle ground for somebody that's self-motivated that can train, but isn't totally, you know, confident in their ability to do it all on their own. And this is just a nice thing to, to get pushed in the right direction. And let me stress it's, the right direction so that you get the results as opposed to just blindly going about it and, and not getting the results you want. A, a lot of training evolves around the correct exercises and stuff like that. That's the the big thing for me is is making sure that you you're doing the the right exercises. I like to focus a lot on on, on weight training and, and strength and conditioning. So one of the things that's that's important is making sure that. Because everyone's going to have a dysfunction. We sit down at desks, desks all the time. Our bodies aren't, aren't perfect anatomically, so you might get there and and be wanting to, you know, get there and, and have a good, big, strong chest. But if you just do chest work all the time, 
you end up making your chest look smaller because your shoulders start to round forward. So it's making sure you get the balance right in regards to how much exercise you do on your back muscles to make sure that you don't pull your posture out of place that ends up making the results you're looking for a lot harder or impossible to get to. It's one of those things where I'm really big on making sure the pelvis stays in the right spot so that you don't end up with sore lower backs or that you end up getting a lot of hamstring injuries and stuff like that. I, I enjoy training athletes, so trying to avoid injury is just as important as obviously trying to get you from point A to, to point B. So it's, it's one of those things where if you're motivated on your own, that's it, fantastic, but just making sure you do the right exercises is, is, is vitally important. Good. So there it is. <laughs> well, that does it for this week. We will see you next week. Till then. Thanks, guys.